1: well good morning america this is gun owners news hour coming out of the nra show well first of all the NRA show is a, is a really is is actually designed for people just you know just regular people to come and get to check out what is new and check out the acres and acres of gear guns exhibits and one thing that's always happening at the NRA show or any of these shows for that matter is that there's a lot of pictures being taken lots of pictures lots of video then they're used by corporate media and others to illustrate certain, uh, you know, their stories about violent crime and mass shootings, that the allegedly deplorable easy access of Americans to have firearms, you know, yada, yada, yada. yada. Enter Evelyn Huckstein of Reuters. She was there. And there's a photo that has resulted in enough blowback that the news agency decided they needed to defend their photographer. The only problem is they did it using some outright lies. Now, the photo is of a young six-year-old man named Hudson Eckhart. And that was used by many outlets and it was the uk daily mails one of their breathless stories about oh my god children holding non-working guns titled very young guns kids as young as six handle real firearms at the nra convention as america is on course for the deadliest year on record with 469 teens and children dead from gun violence so far this year oh my god the humanity And uh, as Fox News reported, little Hudson's grandfather, who took him to the NRA show, isn't happy about the picture that was taken. And he called the photo of his six-year-old grandchild aiming the firearm toward the camera, a setup. What I noticed was the photographer was moving around so that whichever direction his grandson was, she tried to get in front of him. So this is him basically aiming a gun at the camera. Look at all dangerous, as dangerous as a six-year-old can. And it has been used and reused by articles highlighting how often children die by gunfire. Hockstein allegedly told the boy to look at her as he handled one of the firearms, citing what his grandson and Eckhart said, citing what his grandson told him. The photo captured a shot of the young boy looking at the camera straight on while appearing to point the gun at the lens. Now, Grandpa Eckhart was probably right there while Hochstein was taking pictures and you can see him in one of the photos included in the Daily Mail story and she would have to talk to, she would have had to have talked to him to get information for the photo credits. And we get this, uh, from the NRA on Twitter. Meet at Reuters photographer Evelyn Hochstein at NRA annual meeting parents slash grandparents say that she staged photos featuring their children. She instructed the kids to pick up guns and position herself in front of them to capture the images that she wanted. And you see a picture of a kid with a gun. It's a revolver, so you can see it has no ammo. It has a tag and a cable connecting it to the table. So it's very only somebody that tall could actually stick it up there. Now, they do concede that the photographer identified herself. But he was under the impression, he said, that she was there on the behalf of the NRA due due to her chit-chatting with him. And he provided the photojournalist with his name, as well as his grandson's name and age, assuming the photos would be used for an NRA collage or something similar. At these shows, from time to time, you will have reporters show up, and they'll want to interview you. the uh, The first thing you have to figure out is who are they, and what do they what are they wanting to do. So if they come to you, and I mean, I've had a few people come to me and go, I'm CNN. I don't want to talk to you. Because assume that everything you say is going to be edited and then transcribed in the edited form. And there is the rub. Uh, The young boy's father, Nathan Eckhart, added that the photographer set the photo up so that it looked like his son took the gun when he was aiming it at her face. So He did not attend the NRA event, but he and his wife said they're working to get the photos removed from Reuters' website and from the news articles that included them. And good luck with that. Now, for whatever reason, they do allow people to come into these NRA conventions that you would consider to be enemies of the Second Amendment. Some of them are, are, are going to take a lot of media. They're going to mishandle it. They're going to say a lot of things about it. They're going to put a lot of things in there. They're going to add and embellish, and uh, that's where the problem is. And they made the photo of little Hudson, the first one, in it's slideshow of the scenes from the NR, from the convention, and then you get uh, this from Shannon Watts. Right, she saw him. She took him. She put him up on her Twitter feed. Photos of children handling guns at the NRA annual meeting in Indianapolis this weekend by at Evelyn Picks at Reuters. Gun violence is now the leading cause of death of children in America. You should actually, you know, sort of. Uh, you should actually sort of anticipate this. But. If you don't, if you didn't, <laughs> then the problem is uh, is yours. Now, the heat over the photo was enough that the news agency had to defend her, and a Reuters spokesperson told Fox News Digital that the company rejects any suggestion of wrongdoing by the Reuters photojournalists covering the NRA convention in Indianapolis. They also said the Eckhart family of the Eckhart family, it is untrue that she asked a child to look at her to get the shot at the young boy pointing at the gun at the camera. We stand by our photographs, which are in the public interest and meet our standards and the Thompson Reuters trust principles. Our photographer was at all times wearing a press badge and clearly introduced herself to adults as a photojournalist working for Reuters before taking any pictures of children. She took these pictures in a section of the convention designated for media where signs informed attendees they might be photographed by the press and also obtained consent for all photographs from parents or guardians, not children. And that's unquestionably true. When you go there, if you're going to do certain things, then you have to uh, get credentialed. If you want access to certain things and you want to do certain things. And if you don't get credentialed, then you just don't get the access. That's nothing new. NRA Director of Media Relations Amy Hunter pushed back against the assertion that Fox News Vigil that there are no signs to say attendees might get pictured by the press or members of the media, and they've never had a designated media section on the exhibition floor. And uh, there is, that's correct, there is no designated media. That's just something that was made up by Reuters because the entire event is designated media. So no no indication why Reuters felt uh, that was what had to be due you know, be said in order to have the phony story. All that said, if you are attending a newsworthy semi-public event like the NRA show with literally tens of thousands of people, all of whom are carrying at least a phone, which has a camera built into it, then this is something that should be expected. See, normally you would get out there and you'd be like, I just, when I was out there on the floor, I got, I got muzzled by 50 people with guns. It is impossible For that not to happen. That's why all the guns are in op. They're all disabled. So. Anything that you do. Anytime you get out there. There is no appeasing. There is no. You know. There's no middle ground with this. And if you're going to do it. Well, then, that's where the things are going to happen. this kind of thing is going to occur and get used. It happens every day. nothing new. There's nothing new about this at all. nothing at all new. The only thing that's new about it is that uh, some people are complaining about it for the first time, and I, you know, you' can complain about it, but guess what? It got abused. That's what the anti-gun people do. They abuse it all the time. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Call from mom. Answer it.
0: Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
1: back, this is Gun Owners News Hour. Um, Gabby Giffords, former Representative Gabby Giffords, um, her political career was brought to an end by, a, by an insane guy. And uh, the insane guy, well, shot her. End of end of career. No one thinks what happened to her was she didn't deserve it. It wasn't justified. So it is not surprising to me, and you know I'm thankful that she recovered. I am, but she did start a gun control group, and I don't think anyone was overly shocked by that. She she sort of tries to ride the fence on this, uh, and she does it, and uh, it's it's a uh, you know. Because you see pictures of her and her husband all the time, the senator. You see pictures of her and him all the time with guns. We we believe in the Second Amendment, but... Many of the Giffords supporters have argued over and over again that people like her respect the Second Amendment because of these the, this little uh, kabuki theater they put on. And they just want common sense gun control. But the problem is is Gabby Giffords didn't get this. She was asked how she keeps coming back to a challenge so deeply ingrained in politics. And she said, no more guns. Amber, her aide and advisor, tried to clarify that she means no more gun violence, but Giffords was emphatically saying, no, no, no. Lord, no. Guns, 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 no more guns, gone. And then the aide tried to say that this is something like Australia, but that's not what Gifford said. And based on quotes throughout the piece, her mind is sharp enough that if it were, she'd have said it. She didn't. She never mentioned Australia. She said no more guns. In fact, she apparently said it twice. This is the quiet part. Gun control advocates end game, which is hard to understand but a, a, a tenet or component of it is the complete disarmament of the civilian population. They're not advocating for that explicitly at the moment, but they feel like incremental incrementalism will eventually lead that way. And so far, well, nothing's been repealed. And those of us that were against any of this. We were called crazy and paranoid and a few other things. And yet, here we are. A voice in the gun control debate, one that is held up as the perfect spokesperson due to her own personal experiences says, no more guns. And her name is on the organization. So, now the Giffords organization is in a bad spot. They either agree with no more guns or they don't. And no one should accept the claim that the former congresswoman was talking about Australia when she clearly never mentioned it. They need to be pressed and pressed hard over this, and any talk of being like Australia should be questioned even harder. They either need to defend Gabby's comments or disavow them. Disavowing them would also be a very interesting thing, because to do that... That means that they just—they're basically claim, admitting to the fact that they trot her out there to garner sympathy, so they won't disavow. And of course, the regular media is not interested in doing anything with it except covering for her. As the you know, they merely accepted the A's explanation as if that was all needed to be said. They were given an excuse that they could—they felt like it had legs, so they ran with it. And no one else should accept this, though, because either Difference is cogent enough to speak on behalf of gun control or she's not. And if she is, then her words should be taken at face value, as anybody else's would. And if she isn't, well, then they need to disavow. But if not, she probably doesn't need to be making the rounds advocating for a policy that she's not sharp enough to adequately define her position on before a member of the press. Is that, uh, is that too harsh of me? There's an op-ed out there, Um, and there's some things out there that shouldn't be controversial at all, you know, like being able to make guns, having the right to make guns. It's a legal product that's manufactured and sold in accordance with federal and any applicable state law, and there are a lot of them. And if laws work, right, then they shouldn't be a problem. If not, then there's no reason for them to exist. And it seems that the op-ed takes issue with gun makers because they simply exist. And it starts out basic enough, here it is verbatim, there's a familiar pattern after the mass shootings that have become well known, a well-known feature of American life. The initial shock and grief gives way to demands for greater regulation of gun ownership by Democrats, while Republicans dismiss such measures and blame mental illness instead. But we actually want to do something about it. We need to have new conversations. We often talk about where and how weapons are purchased, but rarely where and how they are manufactured. These realities challenge the conventional way we talk about ter- guns in terms of a culture war between red and blue states. The blue states of Massachusetts and Connecticut have some of the strictest regulations on firearms carrying a possession, but they are also major sites of gun manufacturing in this country. The weapons used in the 2018 Parkland shooting, for example, were manufactured by Smith & Wesson. And we've heard this before, and it's always funny to me how many gun makers are headquartered in very anti-gun states. Yeah. Then it goes off the rail. The deeper and bigger point is that the U.S. is the world's principal supplier of weapons. U.S. weapons industry makes both heavy weapons like military aircraft, bombs and missiles, and small arms like rifles and handguns. Smith & Wesson doesn't have a plane, by the way. As of 2021, over 40% of the world's exported arms came from the United States, many of them manufactured in deep blue states. That's bad, I guess, right? And if this was sort of some, some sort of anti-war rant, I could at least respect where they're coming from. But the thing is, it doesn't look like they are. September 2014, local police in the state of Guerrero, Mexico, were responsible for the de- disappearance and murder of some 43 students from the Iuzianapa Rural Teachers College. The police were armed with rifles that were supplied legally from Colt, a prominent U.S. gun manufacturer, headquartered in Connecticut. You know, where the guns come from, for example, any gun sold outside the United States has to have State Department approval. They were not carried out in a vacuum. This just didn't just happen, right? There's actually a process behind this because the gun industry is the most regulated industry that builds anything in the United States. And while the United States makes a lot of weapons, we're far from the only producer. To say that Mexico shouldn't be permitted to buy guns from the U.S. would stop atrocities like what happened in Mexico, but then they get guns from China or Russia. They will. There's a need. There's a need to have guns in some cases. But the idea that gun makers are responsible for the misuse of their products is is stupid. That's like saying the truck attack in Nice, France was actually Renault's fault. These guys are embarrassing themselves. They should really just quit. Some of this stuff is just stupid. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. this is gun owners news hours vice when he was vice president joe biden said you want to keep someone away from your house just fire the shotgun through the door not the best advice (laughs) shoot through the door no problem Uh. (laughs) so um Biden has admitted to owning two shotguns, has also called for a ban on the AR-style semi-automatic rifle, and he describes them as weapons of war, which is pretty doggone funny, because anytime you get out there and you see somebody saying, this is a this and this is a that, well, what happens is inevitably somebody's going to go, well, what is an assault weapon? Which nobody wants to define. So. I think this is the perfect time for the. Uh, for the house. In the form of McCarthy and all. To get out there and write legislation to actually define it. Define what is an assault weapon. And then this open-ended nonsense would end. In addition to making the uh, repeated and entirely untrue statement that the Second Amendment wouldn't have allowed citizens to own cannons, he apparently forgets the shotguns, because they were in a lot of use at the time, were a weapon of war. Because U.S. soldiers have actually been issued a number of pump-action shotguns, notably the Winchester Model 1897, and these firearms quickly earned the infamous moniker Trench Shotgun. They came with a bayonet, They had 12-gauge in it. And it is the Peter P. Carney, the then-editor for the National Sports Syndicate, wrote in 1918, the trench shotgun is America's greatest contribution to the war. Through the expert handling of the trench shotgun, the Germans learned that the Yanks were coming. After the first taste of the pellets, the Germans began to whine and then to write notes calling us barbarians. They were first employed in combat at the Battle of Bulo Wood, In June 1918, where they were used to literally mow down the enemy. It proved so devastating that on September 15, 1918, the German government officially protested its use. Fifty years later, the U.S. military involved in another war, this one in Southeast Asia. And the M-16 was finally overcoming its unfortunate baptism of fire. The gas system caused a lot of jams. This armor light design under the direction of Eugene Stoner proved to be a revolutionary weapon. It offered select fire, was lighter than the M14 that it replaced, and fired a smaller round than even hunting, than the even hunting rifles of the era. And it made it ideal for the civilian market as well, but with a difference. Whereas the military's was select fire, the civilian AR-15 has always these been offered only as a semi-automatic firearm. And the AR-15 in many respects is no different in terms of capabilities than many other civilian firearms. Yet because of its appearance, it is erroneously described as a weapon of war. This is where they could come in and they could say, here, listen to me, the difference between an assault weapon and a civilian weapon is mechanical. It is not cosmetic. It is mechanical. And without the mechanical aspects of select fire in a weapon, then it is not an assault rifle. It is a personal defense weapon, so titled as such by the Department of Homeland Security when they bought them. You know, when you look back in history, slings and bows and clubs and swords have all been employed as weapons of war at various times in history. And yet, during the era of the American Revolution, there was virtually no line between civilian and military firearms. In fact, the the guns carried by the Americans were far superior to the brown vest muskets used by the British Army, Considered at the time among the very best soldiers in the world. And the founding fathers knew this when they drafted the Second Amendment. And the line between weapons of war and civilian firearms remained blurred throughout the 19th century. And there were certainly times when the U.S. military could be described as outgunned. During the Battle of Little Bighorn... Custer proved to be a bad guy, but it wasn't leadership-wise. What was notable is that every trooper in the 7th Cavalry fought with a single-shot, breech-loading Springfield carbine and Colt revolver while sooting bulls of Lakota Warriors were armed with the Henry Winchester and similar lever-action repeating rifles. The U.S. Cavalry, armed with the era's weapons of war, were defeated soundly by an opponent carrying civilian rifles of the day. That point cannot be overstated. It wasn't until the passage of the National Firearms Act that there was even any restrictions on what the firearms of the general public could own, and until until that time, there was still no line between what a weapon of war and a civilian could own. Today, it's not only much clearer, but one of a legal issue, and due to the NFA, machine guns are highly regulated, while no automatic weapon made for the military can be owned by civilians, in fact, none can be made, anything made after a certain date in 1986 is off limits for me and you, unless we go through the NFA process and pay probably as much as, you know, a nice car would cost. And the fact, one fact cannot be overstated, okay? Okay. The U.S. military uses firearms that have features and functionality that the civilian models do not. They recently adopted the N5 Select Infantry Rifle and m 250 Automatic Rifle, which replaced the M4 Carbine and the M249 Machine Gun. Those are some true weapons of war and will never be available for civilian sales, while the AR-15 is simply a civilian firearm that cosmetically has attributes that the former military issue weapon has. Until U.S. warfighters carry the AR-15 into combat, it is simply wrong to label it as a weapon of war. But see, it's 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 all about wording, you know. It's all about wording. Here is where the line gets drawn because what they've done is they've they realized early on that. AR-15s were actually a weapon that in, you know, in in certain hands, they could, um, you know, they did have some utility. All guns have utility, though. Shotguns, I just talked about shotguns, how they could work. Sure, they could be a weapon of war again. They have been before. But, you know, the founding fathers wanted you to have weapons of war. That's the thing. So, in any event, AR-15s, any of these semi-automatic guns that are fed by an external magazine that uh, you know uh, are shooting with one pull of the one pull of the trigger, one round of ammunition, they're just civilian variants. That's all they are. That's all they're ever going to be. They want to ban them, of course, because anything they don't like, they think they should ban. Therein lies the rub. Anything they don't like, they think they should ban. They want to ban fossil fuels. They want to ban gas stoves. And now they want to ban AR-15s. But actually, if you look at the details of it, they'd be actually banning a lot of other things besides AR-15s because then your Glock 17 becomes an assault weapon because it has a magazine that uses more than 10 rounds, and it's a semi-automatic. One thing they want to do is they want to take them all, and they want to put all the semi-automatics that look like that in the NFA. And this latest thing with with the pistol brace thing has sort of opened up the whole NFA argument. Uh, at some point, somebody pretty sharp could get out there and sort of think about doing away with the NFA, and that, that would be good. I'd like to see a few things come off of the NFA. And no civilian has ever used a fully automatic weapon and commit a crime or a murder in the United States, and uh, except for a cop. cop did one time. When we get back, we're going to look at some of the things the anti-gunners are saying. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Uh, I don't know who this is. Her name is Katharine Buchholz. Buc- I don't know where this is coming out of. Uh, this is about uh, stand-your-ground laws. They have problems with them. And so I this uh, everything that you're about to hear is verbatim what they're saying about them in their little articles that uh, they, they try to score points with. This is about stand-your-ground. After a series of highly publicized shootings in the U.S., U.S. stand-your-ground laws, also called shoot-first laws, are back in the news. Stated by the Giffords Law Center shows that these type of laws are common across the U.S. states. They specify that people are allowed to use deadly force if they feel like their life or health is threatened in a public place without needing to try to retreat. According to Giffords, U.S. law largely agrees that that this is also the case for private property, for example, if a homeowner feels threatened by an intruder. In several more states that don't have stand-your-ground laws, including California, Illinois, Oregon, and Washington, precedents exist that could influence how an assault, manslaughter, or murder case goes after a trial is started. While in stand-your-ground states, police could decide not to bring any charges based on these laws. On April 13th, black teenager Ralph Yarl was shot by a homeowner after going to the wrong address in Kansas City and was seriously injured. Andrew D. Lester, an 84-year-old white man, was charged with assault in the first degree. On April 17th, Caitlin Gillis, a 20-year-old white woman, was fatally shot in upstate New York after the car she was riding in went in the wrong driveway. Well, you know, does does New York have a Stand Your Ground law or a Castle Doctrine? Um, The shooter, 65-year-old Kevin Monahan, was charged with murder. In another case where public area's Stand Your Ground laws could apply, two cheerleaders were shot and wounded in Texas after one of them accidentally got into the wrong car in a supermarket parking lot after their practice on April 18th. But the subject, 25-year-old Pedro Teo Rodriguez, Jr., has been charged with deadly conduct, meaning he used a weapon recklessly, threatening, or dangerously. While in all three cases charges have been brought, stand-your-ground laws, as well as laws pertaining to private property, also referred to as castle doctrine laws or make-my-day laws, could still influence these cases and could theoretically see charges dropped or cases won for the defendants. However, in the Kansas City case, the prosecutor said he does not see the necessary precondition of threatening behavior and self-defense fulfilled when Ralph Yarl was shot through the door of the home. In the New York State case, the county sheriff was quoted as saying there was no reason for Mr. Monahan to feel threatened, especially as it appears the vehicle was leaving. No such info available in the fir- third case. The subject is reported to have followed the two women to their car before shooting, likely exceeding limits of stand-your-ground legislation. What remains is a question of how perceived rights under these types of laws and doctrines influence shooters seemingly erratic behavior following what could be considered everyday mix-ups. See, these mistake shootings, these three mistake shootings, there's a lot of hay being made out of these. None of these, by the way, none of these shooters actually had cause to shoot somebody. So whatever comes their way should, should come their way. That's an important thing to say. Now, they, they, they make out like the average citizen can get a gun in their hands and just shoot somebody and everything's okay. That is not the way that works. Even somebody carrying a gun that gets involved in a self-defense situation is going to go through a whole lot of physiological stuff when that happens. Because there's a whole lot of mental baggage that accompanies a shooting, and shootings typically take place with, uh, say, what should we say? We should say probably with. Uh, there's a whole lot of adrenaline being dumped when that happens. So this this whole idea that this all just happens willy nilly and everything—it's shoot first, shoot first laws and make my day laws. Um, okay. I understand you're an anti-gunner, you think that, uh, and, and where, where do you think, the, and this is the thing, they never tell me this, they never tell me this. Those three cases, which they're making, like I said, a whole lot of, oh, it's getting a lot of mileage, where would you draw the line? Where would you say, okay, now this is an issue? I genuinely would like to know, because while they're telling me all this stuff and saying all these things and all these other things, they're not telling me. As they go along. How they would have done it. And that means something. How they would have done it. Means something. So. That's a problem. The fact that they're out there. Slamming one thing. And trying to discount. Or to belittle the fact that self-defense happens. Self-defense happens every day. 6,000 times a day. According to the CDC. Then. Then. We have this, with all the gun violence in the news and with many Americans claiming that they are right to own as many firearms and as many types of firearms as they want based on the Second Amendment, I decided to look at that amendment again. It says, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. First thing we see is that the amendment refers to a well-regulated militia. I wonder how many of today's gun owners are part of a well-regulated militia. Then they, we see that they were concerned with the security of a free state. This is understandable in an era without a standing army or navy or a formal law enforcement body. It established a group of citizens who would be available to defend the country state against foreign or domestic attacks. Now we have a standing military and policing forces to support this need, so a militia is no longer re- required. Finally, we see that the amendment addresses the bearing of arms. In the 18th century, this meant muskets, flintlocks, and front loaders. And few of us would have any problem with citizens owning any number of muskets, flintlocks, and front loaders that they want. Because clearly the framers had no idea at all of what today's firearms would be like. Thus, it is apparent that the amendment and the Constitution does not apply to today's firearm situations in this country. The amendment does not preclude those who wish to own, carry, or use certain types of firearms from doing so. The mechanism in our side to do this is through state and federal legislation to define the applicable parameters for doing so. The Second Amendment does not apply to the United States today. Okay. Well, there were a lot of guns that you don't know about during that time. They understood. That's why they said arms. While they did not know that there were going to be AR-15s, they did know there were going to be weapons, because there have always been weapons since we began to do things like have fires and wear clothes. There have always been weapons. And the reason there's always been weapons is because there have always been conflicts of some type or scale. And whether it was a crime against one person or a movement against a group of people by another group of people, there's always been a need for weapons. Second Amendment does not say that you are restricted to the guns that we had during our time. That's not in there. Well, you get in there and you're trying to assign to this this value that, oh, they meant flintlocks and front loaders and muskets. No, that's just some of the guns they had. They certainly had other guns as well. They had something called the Puckle Gun, which had a 21-round magazine, I think. So they they had those, but I mean, uh, you know, the fact that it doesn't have a lot of, it doesn't get a lot of play, because that's not in the narrative, is it? So... You don't get to go into the Bill of Rights and decide which amendments. There's a way to do that. There's a, way to, there's a way to repeal the amendment. So go for it. Try to repeal the Second Amendment. I mean, at least this guy's got the, 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 the stones to get out there and say out loud what he really wants to do. I, I'll, I'll give him that. But that's about as far as it goes. Because you don't have the juice to repeal the amendment. It would take a, a majority of the states to say yes. And trying to legislate it away, the Bruin decision has sort of handled that for you. So you guys are, you're in dire need. Gun control overall, like it or not, is doomed. At least in my lifetime, it is doomed. At some point with me and this show, we're going to get back to the point, you know, I'll have Todd Jarrett on here and we'll talk about the joy of competition or something. But... All this other stuff is just nonsense. All the things they try to do are nonsense. Law-abiding people are law-abiding people. That's it. There's no guarantees in anybody's life. There's no guarantees in anything either. So, you know, all of your little background checks and all these other things, the red flag orders, they're not going to stop crime. There's not enough police. There's not enough military. The military can't do anything here anyway. Military is not for here. Only There's only police. So I love it when an uninformed citizen gets out there and thinks that they can use throw a little word salad at me. And I'm just going to go, you know, I'm going to have to think about this. This guy seems quite reasonable. I don't play reasonable with you idiots. Gosh, so silly. I'll be back with you next weekend. Um, Between now and then, carry your concealed weapon, your, your carry firearm, as often and everywhere that you can. Stay awake. Stay aware. Employ that critical thinking, please. Then you are really armed. This has been Gun Owners News Hour.